Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs of Future Tech Podcasts. Almost here, round the corner of future technology. Today I'm here with Tyson Masori, uh, the CTO, Chief Technology Officer at Scans.io. S-D-A-N-S-E.io. How you doing, Tyson? Doing okay. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Uh, we got some unique stuff to talk about. So Scans looks like it uses uh, LiDAR technology to provide... Um, uh, 3D scanning. Is that an accurate assessment of what you do? Yeah. Yeah. So our first product is really a, a, what you call a 2D scanner. It's providing a single plane of data. Uh, and then what we're looking at doing you know, in the near future is a uh, add-on that would allow this uh, single plane scanner to become a full spherical scanner. So what's what's the limit of your current scanner? It's... Um... You said it's not full spherical. So what, what does that mean in terms of what, yeah. what uh, the output will be? Yeah, so basically it's sending out a single beam, um, about uh, half a degree uh, in cone angle, and then spinning that beam uh, 360 degrees so you get a full uh, you know, field of view in one plane. Um, okay. Yeah, so... So that if you wanted to get... Um, your entire environment, you'd have to spin it around, adjust the angle, spin it around, adjust the angle in a sequence to get a, a bigger picture of you? Right. Yeah, so for you know, certain applications like um, architectural scanning, it becomes useful. Um, but a lot of our early customers are more interested in just the single plane. Um, customers like um, drone companies and ground um, robotics companies, um, they're more interested in high-speed um, feedback. Let's let's back up a little bit. Um, the technology is called LiDAR. Uh, how does LiDAR work? What is it? I, th- I think I've heard of this in, in relation to police using it uh, when tracking speeders, or is that not accurate? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely one of the early uses. Um, LiDAR stands for light detection and ranging. Uh, <laughs> one, one interpretation of it, there's some others, acronym uh, options there, but uh, basically it sends out a pulse of light, and then looks for the return of that, that uh, known frequency uh, returning off of a uh, bouncing off an object and come back to the sensor. And then it uh, is able to determine the distance to that object based on the time that it took for that response. Wow. Um, yeah, so it requires mm-hmm. some you know very high-end uh, uh, timing um, mm-hmm. calculations. Um Yes, the the okay. uh, interesting, interesting thing about our sensor is we're um, employing some new um, algorithms that allow us to use much lower um, quality and lower cost components by employing a sort of um, multi-sample approach. Um, you know, so where most sensors send out this continuous um, stream of pulses, just uh, simple pulses, our device sends out a... Um, what we call a sort of a, a light packet 
familiar, familiar with like serial communication at all, it, it's like a, it has a, a checksum or a way to um, determine that this pulse of light or this packet of light has been sent by our sensor and our sensor alone. Um, so that allows us to um, do the same sort of um, high accuracy ranging that the higher end sensors do, but with um, much uh, lower cost components. What what kind of conditions would be perfect for this system? Which kind of conditions are really tough? Yeah, so uh, we're really marketing towards um, vehicles, so so smaller, uh, lower speed vehicles like um, drones, like I mentioned earlier. Um, also, uh, like last mile delivery robotic um, platforms. Um, I'm not familiar with that term. Basically. Uh, um, anything that needs to move less than uh, 10 miles per hour um, and navigate around obstacles. Oh, so if um, this camera was mounted on a drone, it still could see, even though the drone's moving, if, it's, if it was moving slowly? Yeah, so it's providing a, a constant stream of data. Um, our, our, our sensor can operate between 5, or sorry, 1 and 10 hertz, so provides one in one to ten scans per second um, mm. based on what you're doing so the the faster it goes the less resolution it provides but uh, right. sometimes that's necessary if you're moving quickly that's still pretty amazing you know you would think that um, a device like this would be so sensitive that it would have to sit stationary and couldn't move but the fact that it can move already and still get uh, resolution in a picture. That's 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 amazing. Yeah. So each packet of light that I mentioned um, happened. You know, it's sent out within uh, a little less than a millisecond. Uh, well, I should say uh, the, the whole ranging um, operation, you know, sending out light and then having it return, happens in less than a millisecond. Uh, so it's pretty fast. Well, thank goodness, light is so fast. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, does does this device work? And uh, if the object is in, if you're outside in, in ambient sunlight, does the sunlight interfere with the reading, or does it uh, still work? It's a good question. So with a lot of sensors, it does. Um, you know, so this uh, this light is you know very faint, and of course, the further away the object, the more faint the return becomes, and so it can get overpowered by uh, sunlight noise um, quite easily. And so one of the ways we're trying to overcome that, we are overcoming that, is with this this um, light packet um, description there, you know, a design that I tried to describe, um, which basically allows us to extract the signal from ambient sunlight noise more easily, uh, as opposed to um, the more traditional LiDAR methods, which require very high um, energy pulses in order to overcome the noise. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so, so a lot the, of sensors, um, you, as you say, the, the lot of, a lot of sensors you see that are down in our price range um, employ a, a little bit different technique. They, instead of doing a time-of-flight measurement, they uh, employ a triangulation uh, method, which is basically, if you know your, your basic trigonometry, if you send out a, a beam of light uh, and then have a, a, a sensor adjacent to it by a certain amount, and then measure mm. the angle of that light returning. You can calculate right. um, based on the angle uh, how far it watches away. Um, problem is that um, 
those sensors usually use uh, simple like laser pointers, which uh, in ambient uh, sunlight get uh, overpowered pretty easily, and so don't work outside. That's what you that you okay. what you've been seeing in in um, most consumer robots these days. Gotcha. And is the um is the picture that's observable on a camera is that for human eyes or is it more for a um a machine's eyes so it can navigate or is it for both depending on the application? Yeah, so a lot of our customers are going to be um, robotics companies that are going to plug the sensor in and you know it'll be used um, the live data will be used you know to navigate the sensor real time so the no real need for a human to see the data, but we are providing a um, a sort of uh, visualizer uh, so that you know when the customers first get the sensor, they can plug it into a PC and basically get a um, a view top down of what the sensor is seeing. Uh, so you you know when you provide when the sensor provides this uh, 360 degree uh, plane of data. You'll see, you know, like if he was in a room, you would see a, a profile of the room, as if you were looking like a, like a plan view of the room. Okay, got it. Um, so, what are some of the most interesting applications that uh, that your system is being used in right now? Yeah, yeah, I would say we're still kind of uh, gathering the full breadth and depth of, of where this is going to be used, but. Um, uh, some interesting things are like um, safety systems for uh, wheelchairs. Apparently, there's a, a bit of a market for um, you know wheelchairs for the disabled that have issues with um, controlling them accurately on their own. People with like muscular dystrophy, and other diseases mm. that um, you know, have, have to get some limited um, control. And uh, you know, there's a couple companies that are working on ways to uh, make these uh, wheelchairs safer. Um, of, course, of course, lots of um, um, drone companies looking to make uh, safer drones. And then um, uh, kind of an emerging market is this last mile delivery market, um, basically um, making these small wheeled mobile vehicles um, autonomous and uh, safe to operate around people. What was the last name of the uh, name of the last market you mentioned? Uh, last mile delivery. It, it's um, basically if you've heard of like uh, like what Amazon is doing and um, some other companies mm. that these vehicles that take uh, packages and uh, like food deliveries and other things from uh, either like a, a van base station parked in the neighborhood or like a like a post office um, base station or like a, or even like a like a pizza delivery office uh, out to right. um, you know the last mile to um, final delivery uh, it's a, uh, a place where you know it's, it's the most expensive leg of the journey and right. um, often the most fraught with um, confusion you know misdelivery problems and so some companies are right. trying to make that more efficient I would think that your technology is used in autonomous vehicles like the Tesla and other cars like that yeah no so the uh, like I kind of said earlier, the uh, limitation of our current sensor is it's not fast enough for really high high speed vehicles like uh, you know like cars. Yeah, anything above 10 miles per hour, moving above 10 miles per hour right now is probably not going to be able to use this sensor as a navigation tool. 
Um, okay. We're looking at some some other um, kind of related applications like um, parking sensors. Um, yeah, right now we're we're kind of you know attacking this niche that no one really uh, no one else really is, which is the uh, consumer robotics market. Mm. Uh, we're also looking at a few others like um, construction automation, uh, like surveying, okay. and the, and then um, security. Oh, if a, a door opens, you can sense it, or the um, windows open, or line of yeah. sight is broken. That that kind of thing. So um, it goes beyond that, though. So you know, our sensor provides. Uh, sort of uh, data somewhere in between what a camera can provide and what a motion sensor can provide. Um, so, uh, kind of imagine if this was in a. Uh, uh, mostly looking at the enterprise security, so like banks and airports and hospitals, that kind of thing. Um, what it allows is for the system to track uh, not only if there's somebody in a room, but where they are. Um, so imagine like in a, a um, um, art gallery, art museum, uh, if you wanted right. to know whether someone was getting too close to a particular piece of art, um, this could tell you. Um, this is actually being used already in, in some of the high-end um, art galleries out there, like the Louvre, to protect the Mona Lisa. Oh. Um, That's cool. Yeah. <clears throat> and you know, this has a lot of possibilities for providing... Uh, more rich data to things like uh, smart home uh, systems. You know, so if you can tell where someone is, you know, if they're leaving a room, where they're uh, stationed in the room, you can do things like you know, turn on lights specifically for their path, or uh, turn yeah. off the TV when they've they've left the room, that kind of thing. Have you tried clustering these uh, these sensors so you get data um, as an object moves around, or? more detailed data because multiple sensors are hitting it. Yeah, that's one of the things that we're pretty excited about um, exploring more. You know, we've done some prototype tests, but uh, it's definitely someplace we want to you know, do more research in. Um, one of the neat things about our sensor <clears throat> that's unique, again, about it because of this uh, light uh, packet technique we're using is the sensors are pretty much immune to noise from each other. Uh, so if okay. you happen to have them sitting at the same plane, um, they're not going to be interfering with each other. So you can have multiple in a room. Yeah, so we see, yeah, we foresee um, some applications where you could have you know, a few of these throughout a, a building um, that are able to track the, the motion of a particular individual pretty accurately. What about low light or no light? Would it work well, you know, if you're going to explore a cave or if right. you're uh, in a place where there's yeah. no light at all. Yeah, so because it's an active sensor, which means it produces its own light, it, there's no external light required. In fact, it works better if there's no other light um, to provide noise. Yeah, so that's uh, another big advantage over a camera. Is uh, It really doesn't matter what the environment is like. Yeah, so I guess, you know, um, in conditions where there's no light or you can't have light, it would disturb whatever's in the, in the spot, this would be a good sensor to see. Right. Yeah, That's exactly. Great. So, you know, again, with the security applications, um, if you don't want to have your uh, your lights on all the time in order to provide 
uh, you know, like for the security cameras, you can use these sensors instead. Can it work um, only in the air, or can it work in water or ocean? Yeah, so there's um, some possibility for working underwater, although right now we're mm-hmm. using a laser light frequency that um, uh, gets absorbed um, pretty quickly in water. And we did this specifically so that it would operate better in air because uh, light, and en- you know, light entering the atmosphere from the sun. Um, passes through a, uh, a vapor barrier in our atmosphere. And so we're kind of operating in a, a niche or notch in the, the solar spectrum, which provides less noise, you know, kind of a noise-free zone or you know, lower noise zone. But as a consequence, it doesn't work as well underwater. Um, so right. we could certainly uh, use a different laser for an underwater version in the future. Yeah, no, it's exciting. I'm thinking of all these applications where you could use it. It's pretty neat. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, we're really excited for... about... Oh, Go ahead. Say, um, you know, so there's all these um, applications for traditional LiDAR that are usually, you know, sort of niche um, scientific applications or military or industrial because the sensors have traditionally been very expensive, you know, hmm. tens of thousands of dollars, if not more. And so, by you know, creating providing the sensor that um, you know, is down less than 500 bucks, um, we think we're going to open up a whole new range of applications that uh, would otherwise you know, have not used the sensor for this kind of technology for that reason. Yeah, I'm going through my mental wish list, but what have you guys identified as the uh, the coolest or most exciting applications you think will come? Yeah, man, yeah. <laughs> we're still trying to find that as well, but. Uh, I would say the, the things that uh, people have told us about, um, uh-huh. certainly, um, you know, uh, sort of do-it-yourself um, um, surveying is pretty interesting. Um, doing things like um, capturing a room in order to bring it into the VR space has been uh, interesting right. to hear about. Um, you're probably aware that there's some other sensors out there that are, are you know, tackling this problem. But uh, we have some unique um, advantages, I think, that could uh, make our, our sensor use, useful for that application. Uh, basically, by being able to capture a full sphere of data from a single point, um, allows you to make much more accurate uh, representations of spaces. Yeah, um, that's great. Yeah. Um, does the sensor have any uh, a warning system? You know, audible warning system when let's say an object gets too close or like you talked about the wheelchair example. So would you, would you couple yeah. this with other sensors and does it work well with particular other kinds? Yeah. So our sensor is most likely always going to be used in a, within a suite of sensors. Um, it's most you know, erotic vehicles often have, um, as far as the, you know, warning signs or systems, that's, you know, definitely going to be handled by the, the, um, the controller of whatever vehicle this goes into. Um, mm. But likely this will work well with um, uh, radar and or uh, cameras in conjunction with it. You know, so you know, by, by providing this plane of, of 3D data, um, it, it has the advantage of, you know, in, coupled with the camera, allowing the camera, you know, if you have a, a camera that's trying to do um, object tracking and um, 
you know, depth measurements on its own. This provides a reference point, you know, an accurate um, range measurement that would allow a, another, you know, uh, other sensors to um, up their accuracy. Okay. Uh, so I think that's where um, a lot of these, if you've heard of like uh, uh, you know, sensor fusion, um, basically the, the more sensors you have often, uh, the more accurate the whole system can be. Mm. So when you see like, um, you know, like the, the new uh, Uber autonomous vehicles, you'll notice that there's uh, like four different uh, types of sensors on there. There's, you know, there's radar, LIDAR, sonar, and cameras, and they're all operating in conjunction with each other, you know, often redundantly to uh, extract the same data from about the surroundings. Makes sense, yeah. Yeah. What, what's the resolution of um, your your device's scanning? Yeah, so the, the current update rate, uh, how this one is stated, is uh, about 1,000 hertz, and then that gets spread across whatever... Um, uh, scan speed you select. So, um, as an example, I think most of our customers are going to be using this at around 5 hertz, which means um, you'll get about 200 points per scan. You, you d divide the 1,000 hertz by the 5 hertz rotation rate. Uh, so, that's about uh, 1.6 degrees of angular resolution. Um, that's kind of a typical if you're moving uh, like 5 or 6 miles per hour if you, if you and you're trying to uh, avoid obstacles. That's about what you'd uh, want to do. Um, you know, for applications like um, you know doing um, spherical scanning, where speed is not as much of a an issue, then you'd want to go the the slowest speed, about about a one hertz rotation rate. Oh, okay. Scanning that around uh, the full sphere, and so then you'd get you know a thousand points per revolution, um, which is about point three okay. six. You know. Degrees of angular resolution. Um, so the interesting there's thing no about restriction on this. Uh, anyone can own it, or is it only certain entities can own it? Anyone can own it. Yeah. So it's a, a class one laser. That's another advantage of it being using lower cost, lower power components. Um, you know, class one being eye safe um, with an unheated eye. Um, mm. So there's no no risk of of danger of you know blinding yourself there. <laughs> um, okay. Which other sensors do have that issue. All right. So what do you see as the, the near and the far-term future, you know, the next six months or year, and then um, five years out? Where do you project things will go for you guys? Yeah. <clears throat> so we are definitely uh, prototyping the, the next version already. Uh, we think the next version is going to be a little bit more oriented towards uh, Faster-moving vehicles, of course. Um, so it'll be a little bit more forward-looking instead of a full 360-degree field of view. <clears throat> and then um, uh, definitely faster, higher power. And, and um, um, when I say higher power, I mean higher processing power. And then um, right. um, probably uh, uh, environmentally sealed. That's one thing we're, we've been hearing some requests for. So... People that want to do like uh, uh, boat navigation or uh, um, roadside uh, um, safety sensors for like crosswalks and um, whole range of outdoor applications. That's kind of the, the big advantage of our sensor over um, anything else in our realm is the outdoor capability. 
you know, we this first version um, we did not make uh, uh, the IP, you know, watertight rated, um, mostly because we wanted it. We wanted to get to market as fast as possible. Um, right. And we knew that uh, you know a lot of our customers weren't going to need that. So it was kind of uh, this is the the um, sort of the development sensor that we're sending out to all the people um, who just want to test out the technology in their applications. And it will sort of um, refine it for particular sectors. Right. Um, so we plan to sell this sensor as is for the next year or so and come out with the next version around Q4 of 2017. Very interesting. Well, yeah. How, how did you guys come up with this idea? Why? You know, what's a little bit of the history of the company and the idea itself? Yeah. Yeah, so both my co-founder and I are a uh, long history of robotics um, building experience, um, both professionally and uh, and in college. And um, right out of uh, grad school, we decided to start a consulting company uh, doing mechatronics um, um, products, you know, um, basically helping to develop uh, products for other small companies. And after about two years of that and 20 projects later, we decided we wanted to do a project of our own and we looked at um, doing a, a consumer outdoor sort of helper robot kind of a cross between a lawnmower and a, and a snowblower, uh, autonomous uh, lawnmower snowblower. And quickly realized after a few months that in order to do any sort of real navigation outdoors, um, you know, you either need to bury a wire in the ground, which is what most companies do in order to determine where obstacles are and um, and the borders of your the place you're you're operating in, uh, which sucks because you know <laughs> it's a lot of uh, installation work, or you need some sort yeah. of thing, something like lidar to you know accurately create a map of the space. And you know we didn't want to we wanted to create something that was you know that uh, was really easy to use, really easy to set up, and so we started down that path of trying to figure out LiDAR and realized that there was nothing out there at the time that uh, was affordable enough to, to fit into a consumer product. You know, it would have cost um, several thousand dollars. And, you know, that means that if, if your uh, main component costs a couple thousand bucks, your your, your whole device is going to be, you know, 10,000 bucks. And so right. um, that we kind of pivoted and made that our mission was to um, create an affordable outdoor scanner. Okay. Well, that's great. Um, yeah. Anything else that uh, that you guys are going to be coming out with ancillary products, or are you going to stay focused on this uh, this lidar system? Yeah, you know, we've been dabbling with creating. Uh, you know, we definitely have our eye out for end user products that you know utilize this technology and have some uh, you know a fairly simple implementation, like for example, a three D scanner that's used as a um, like a surveying tool, you know, creating a whole suite around that that would make it useful for, you know, a construction worker. That's something that we're kind of, you know, along those lines looking at. Okay, well, very good. Well, anything else I, I should have asked you that you want to bring up or you think we've covered uh, quite a bit? Um, yeah, no, it's been, it's been good. Um, I was just looking at your list of questions here. Yeah, well, I want to ask. Um, 
So for people interested in talking to you about an application for their business or their you know their use, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yes, you can go to our website and uh, uh, contact us through our, our little help button there. That's kind of the best way. If there's our, our ticket system, it's sure to get attention. Um, or you can email us at uh, team at scans.io. Yeah, last question. I saw that you um, had a Kickstarter campaign. Are you actively, um, I mean, if, if someone was interested in funding uh, further efforts, are you guys at that stage where you're looking for that? Or is it... Uh, are you self-sufficient now and, and moving on? Yeah, so um, so we're right in the middle of pr- uh, the production of those units for the Kickstarter campaign. We hope to finish mm-hmm. that in uh, late January. And then we definitely are looking for additional funding. Um, we're kind of at a, uh, an interesting stage here. where we, ha- we received some seed funding from VC uh, just after the Kickstarter, and that kind of helped pay for the, uh, the production cycle this first batch, but now we're looking for uh, funding for the, um, you know, pursuing the vision of the second version. Um, right. Kind of expanding the team. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to bring that up. So, all right, Tyson, well, thank you for your time. It was a good interview, and I think it's a really uh, very cool new application that's going to be uh, accessible to a lot of people because of the price point. Yeah, Thanks. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.